amigos. Spooky movies through time. Spooky movies through time. Spooky. Oh, Halloween spooky. Halloween spooky. Halloween edition. Yeah. Yeah. And we watched a boring film for you guys. This movie spooked will spook your pants off. And also make you bored. You may fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, you might. Um, no, I. Uh, but these, this is a childhood film for me. And did you watch this when you were younger? Mm, uh, no, this one actually, in particular. No, this was actually my first time seeing this one. I, oh, I saw. Okay. I saw Africa Screams when I was really little. And... Oh, by the way, the film that we watched is Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. It was made in 1948 and directed by uh, Charles Barton. Nice. It's it's a monster mash for sure. It's got uh, Lon Chaney as the Wolfman, Bella Lugosi Lon as Chaney, Dracula, Bella Lugosi, and Glenn Strange as Frankenstein's monster. Which I wonder what the hell Boris Karloff was doing during the filming of this. That surprised me. It was a strange choice. It was a strange performance. Eating Glenn cheese. Strange. He was eating cheese in the background. Yes. I found it quite strange uh, that Glenn Strange. So you didn't was watch this when you were a kid, but did you watch? Hmm? I I'm glad he's dead. Um, Glenn so Strange. So you didn't watch this when you were younger, but what? Yeah, of course. Well, they're all dead, so it doesn't matter. I uh, know, but what was Boris Karloff doing? Uh, eating cheese in the corner. Dude. Like, that's on the Wikipedia article. You just, you just wanted that. to soak in that, that performance, that strange performance. Well, the calcium that he needed in order to do the performance. Um, yeah, so you watched what? African <laughs> Screams when you were younger, though? Another uh, you, The Abbott and Costello he, movies. Because I, I don't actually know what you that, watched that when was, you were younger. That's, for that's me, the one Abbott and Costello movie I saw when I was younger, was Africa Screams. And I just remember one scene where he's oh. in a cage with a lion or a tiger or something, and he's whipping some stuff. Uh, oh, do you remember out. the beginning of that movie where he is trying to tame a lion, but it turns out to be a cat, like a just, little kitten? Yeah, there's just lots of screaming and stuff. I I really don't yeah. remember it at all. That's really. that's a Costello move. Uh, I just remember they're in the jungle. Oh, great, cool. And he had a safari hat on. That's all I remember. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping when I was watching this film, like I would have all this. I was hoping when I was watching this film that I would have like awesome nostalgia, and I remember most of the film. It's just uh it didn't do it for me i i think that's a better film or the abbott and costello movies are better to watch when you're a little kid and uh you're not really paying attention to anything and you see a fat guy screaming about stuff and getting beaten up it's always kind of fun uh quit quit fat shaming pepe god why are you always fat shaming people i'm so intolerant well i'm not just when they deserve it that's okay so so what do you like about the film the most? Well, I thought it was cool towards the end of the film just to see all of the monsters in one movie finally. Because I'd seen the standalone towards the end, or like in the middle of the yeah film. towards the end because when I I grew up watching all the 
the standalone Universal Monster movies when I was a little kid. So I'd see, so I saw Frankenstein, I saw Dracula, and I saw um, the Wolfman, but I'd never seen them all in one movie before at the same, like on screen at the same time. So towards the end of the movie, you see Dracula fighting the Wolfman, smashing a chair over him, and then Frankenstein's running around and they're running from him. So that was kind of cool. Mm hmm. And that's it? You didn't like any of the slapstick humor? Uh, I didn't really find the humor all that funny. Actually, I think the humor that I found the most funny was the unintentional humor. Uh, kind of just like... Wow, uh, please explain. What, what's the un unintentional part about it? Well, just like the random noises that Costello would kind of make. Like, not, There weren't any particular lines or like setup lines that I found like super funny or laughed at. It was more just the mm -hmm. small little mannerisms Costello had that made me laugh that weren't really in the script that I found the funniest. Yeah, so the physical performance, I guess. It was just little things, mm -hmm. but it wasn't like laugh out loud funny. Like, oh my God, you know, like that line was so funny. I definitely had issues when I was watching some of these Abbott and Costello movies when I got older because I was definitely preventing myself from forcing a laugh because I wanted it to be like, yeah, my childhood and I love this. Uh, so when I was watching uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, another Abbott and Costello film, for the first 15 minutes, no laughs. I'm like, oh, this sucks. And then Costello is just whistling like a childish boy uh in one scene and all of a sudden 15 dogs out of nowhere just jump him and he's screaming and i did burst out laughing when it happened it was probably more of a surprise <laughs> factor and just completely random yeah. but then the rest of the film i was like ah oh, shit it sucks so yeah i mean i'm not really an abbott and costello fan but i did like this movie because i like this movie more because of the monster movie aspect because it was cool to see bella lugosi and Lon Chaney especially on screen together. Like Those guys scared me individually when I was younger when I would see the Universal films. Uh, the Werewolf, um, Creature of the Black Lagoon, and I think The Mummy. When I saw those as individual Universal pictures, I was freaked out when I was five or six. Well, especially The Wolfman. I remember watching that over and over again because I really liked Lon Chaney Jr.'s performance in The Wolfman. Because he, he's I believable at... Yeah, he's believable as as a as a werewolf, as the Wolfman, because he's just so damn hairy in his performance. He's always like all freaked out, and his hair is kind of like all messed up, and he's just yeah, kind of. Well, I mean, his hair—he has an afro, so he's like a groovy <laughs> werewolf. Oh, oh he does. <laughs> he's kind of groovy though, but he's in a button-up uh, shirt and khaki pants the entire time when he's in werewolf mode. So it's not like his clothes rip at all; they just get like a little <gasps> messed up. Like, he just looks sweaty when he comes out of his werewolf uh, yeah. mode. Yeah. Well, his father so, was a great. His father was a great actor too. The original Lon Chaney. He was. Yeah, like, so uh, what was he in? Because well, he I was. Read... He was the. He was the Phantom of the Opera, and uh, he was the Hunchback of Notre Dame. He was in a lot of the really old nineteen twenties silent horror films. Yeah, because when I was reading about Lon Chaney, he was apparently in the shadow of his father. That's the uh, mm -hmm. Wikipedia description of him. Well, it's well, it's weird too because in the credits of this movie, they don't list him as Lon Chaney Jr. They just list him as Lon Chaney, which I thought was interesting. Maybe that's them trying to like coerce or not coerce, um, get people to watch the film because oh wow, it's Lon Chaney, he's come back, and it's like nope, just the junior one. The shitty no, but they're, they're both really good actors. Like, but Lon Chaney, his father was in, he was in the, all the original, like some of the earliest American horror films. He was The Hunchback of Notre Dame and 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 The Phantom of the Opera and The Man Who Laughs. 
was really good in that too. He did some really extreme makeup. And those were silent films generally, right? Yeah, those were all silent. Yeah, I think I saw The Phantom of the Opera when I was younger. Uh, so Bela Lugosi was really old looking in this film, apparently. Yeah, it was all that uh, morphine. He's, he's aged like, oh my god. And they show the close-ups of his eyes, all the wrinkles around him. It's like, damn. And that was like, uh, they hadn't done another Dracula film since, what, the 30s at that point with him? Yeah, well, the original Dracula, I think, if I remember, it was either 1931 or 1932, and this is 1948, so this would be 16 years later. 16 or 17 years later, yeah. yeah. It was kind of weird watching him. So the most interesting dynamic in the film, I thought, was where Costello has these two hot chicks who are into him for ulterior motives, but just kind of funny seeing the hot woman, you know, go for the dopish, fat, unattractive dude and how it kind of just pisses everyone off. And they're all wondering why they're trying to f*** him and they're not. They're trying to use him for his, his uh, body parts or... Well, I mean, we could just say body parts, so maybe it's like, oh, do they want Well, I think they specifically wanted his brain because they wanted the Frankenstein to be more subservient to the master, and they knew that he had a weak mind, so he would be easily, you know, moldable to, to take orders and stuff. The basic plot of the film, too, is uh, insurance, or this guy buys uh, two, you know, freakish-looking costume-based characters to go into his horror museum, and Abbott and Costello are delivery men, deliver it there, and then, you know, they actually turn out to be real monsters, and they go through this whole trial of uh, finding the monsters, I guess, just for the sake of insurance. It's not clear why they have to find the monsters in the first place. Like, they're just kind of coerced into it. Like, you'll go to jail if you don't, I suppose. That's the motivation. That's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so... Oh, More context I also about thought it was fun. Oh, yeah, I also thought it was funny that uh, Abbott's character in the movie is his name is Chick. And yeah, I don't understand that. Why? Yeah, there was actually Chick. a scene. Well, he and, he and Costello keeps yelling "Chick, Chick, Chick" in the movie, and there's this one line where he's like talking about one of the girls that Costello was like going to meet that night or whatever. He's just like, oh yeah, that dame or whatever. And then apparently dame is like an insult back in the day or something. He's like, don't call, don't call her a dame, chick. And it's like, he called, right after he says, don't call her a dame, he calls him a chick, but it's his name. So I thought it was funny. Well, do you think that was on purpose or <laughs> uh, did chick just not mean the same thing back then? I don't know if chick was a nickname for some other name or what, but the, he keeps calling him chick. Yeah, I don't think it has relation to how we refer to, you know, chicks today, so to speak. But it's funny, because nowadays, if you use the word dame, that's not derogatory or anything, but some people, like, they'd be like, oh, don't call girls chicks, or whatever. Well, it's it's just a nerdy thing, like, when people discover, like, old etymology of old English, and they start doing that in a nerdy way, like, sir, sire, you know, that would be, like, dame at this point. It would be irrelevant. It'd have no meaning. Yeah, well, apparently back in the day, dame was like a bad thing to say, which is weird. Well, it's the same thing with spook. But you can can call dudes chick. (laughs) It's the same thing with spook. Like, I had no idea what it meant, and it just sounded funny, and apparently it's also like, it refers to a CIA agent, or it's a racial epithet towards black people. But it's just such a funny term to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Hopefully more words become meaningless so we can start playing well, with them. Well, I also think they were just trying to find really obscure names, too, because, like, the other guy's name... Because Costello's character's name is Wilbur, and that's not a very common name either. So I think they're just trying to find really obscure names that weren't as common, like Chicken Wilbur. Is Wilbur German or English? I have no idea, but it just makes me think of a pig. <laughs> Wilbur the pig. Costello comes off like that anyways. <laughs> it says Wilbur and Chick are the two main characters. Yeah, so as boring as I might find the film now uh, as an adult, uh, these films were wildly successful, like the Abbott and Costello films, all the way through their career since they started making them. Uh, I can't remember the name of their second film, but it was a similar budget to this and made about quadruple the amount profit-wise. So all their films were generally making either double or quadruple uh, what the budget was. But did the monster movie ones make more than the regular ones? I didn't do a comparison, but I know that most of their films were basically making the same profit margin between twice or quadruple what the budget was. And this one in particular was about quadruple what it costs to uh, make. Because whenever I hear about Abbott and Costello, you always hear about Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Because I think this maybe was their biggest hit, because this is the one you always hear about. I think so, but... I can't remember. I think their second film made the most because their second film that they ever made, and I can't remember the name of it, was like four million box office. This one was three point two million. But this one is I. This one's mentioned a lot because it kind of became a cult classic in the nineties. Uh, not unlike a lot of horror B movies. Yeah, well, I I still thought it was an enjoyable film. Like if, to me, it wasn't boring. It was entertaining, but it just wasn't funny. It was. Uh... And for me, it's a nostalgia trap. Like. For me, it's just kind of a cool Halloween vibe. It's campy. It's it's just kind of interesting to see the set pieces and all the different monsters. And it's entertaining. It's kind of... it's. But don't expect to be laughing your ass off at all the jokes. <laughs> like, and the, Well, the jokes are yeah. quippy, and yeah. you might get like a chuckle, I suppose, mm -hmm. but you're not going to bend down laughing. Or yeah, like, like some of them you'll be like, oh, that's kind of clever wordplay, but it's not... You're not going to laugh out loud. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, if you're a kid, if you have like six-year-olds or five-year-olds or whatever, and they're not totally inundated with uh, YouTube or shit like that, this they might find really enjoyable, especially when Costello uh, screams and just gets hurt and stuff like that. I, I think that's, you know, great comedy for young kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I felt like Costello is really, his humor is really reminiscent of like Curly from the Three Stooges. And... It's hard to say. Did the Three Stooges, in terms of films, actually predate Abbott and Costello? Because I think their first film was 1942 or so. I don't know in terms of films, but I know their act, apparently. I looked it up. It goes all the way back to 1922, like their vaudeville act. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bud Abbott was uh, involved with uh, vaudeville performances back in uh, 1918 or so. But he didn't start anything with Costello until the 30s with like a radio show. But they both just curly from the Three Stooges and Costello. They both have like that really, they're like childlike. They're men, but they act like small children. They both have that kind of like high pitched laugh. Mm -hmm. They make like those weird noises and have those weird mannerisms. Apparently, Costello sounds similar, a lot like. Yeah. Apparently, Costello sounds a lot like Bud Abbott, and that's why he made the high pitched noise because they sounded too similar to each other on radio. Yeah, because I mean, there are different points in this movie where he's just he does this high pitched kind of like voice, like he's a little kid. 
but then he'll do it when he's nervous, like around girls too. But then other times he'll just do this high pitched laugh. And then when he's talking to the wolfman on the phone, he's like making dog animal sounds and stuff. And he just does all this crazy stuff with his voice. I, I do love Jack and the Beanstalk, though, because just the way that he's dressed, he is just in a child's outfit and playing this little boy, a <laughs> yeah. grown-ass adult, and it's, <laughs> and it's the first uh, colored film that they did. Yeah, because how, how old is Costello in this movie? Uh, so that's 48, right? Yeah. Okay, so I'm thinking from his death, 11 years, um, he would have been 42, Oh, yes, it's like a forty-two-year-old, like grown-ass, like heavy-set man acting like a like a child. It's it's kind of like those those are the mannerisms and like the quippy like like sound effects and the laugh and different things that he put on. Those were the funny parts to me, not like the lines or the dialogue, really. Yeah, it's the physical humor. The physical humor and just the voice. Do you think all slapstick kind of has its origins in vaudeville performances? Just Probably. physical comedy generally. Probably. Because I was thinking, and even stand-up comedy, I want to say that if New Orleans hadn't existed as kind of a metropolitan area for vaudeville, I don't think comedy would exist today in the American kind of way Whoa. or context. That's a bold claim. I don't, well, it might not be that bold. I have, but I don't, I don't know I'm enough information. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I don't ignorant know. on this. I don't, know, I don't have enough information to disprove that, though, so it could be true. I don't know. Well, we could just say that all comedy originated in, uh, I don't know, Utah or Detroit. Let's just say that. <laughs> okay. Or Detroit, all, let's it, go with no, it. No, you know what? It, it all originated in Sweden. <gasps> all comedy that we know of today actually had its origins in Sweden. I say, I would say, in to sum things up, I would give this movie a solid eight triangles Oh, wait, are we ending it now? I mean, unless you want to talk about something else. Uh, I, just interesting about Abbott and Costello, too. Uh, they, for how successful the films are, they basically died broke. And a large part of that is due to gambling. Like, there was a little biopic that was done on them, I think, back in the 90s um, on some TV channel. Might have been ABC. But... They lost millions of dollars over the years when they were making the films because they were constantly gambling. They were apparently shitty at it. Are you serious? Yeah, I, it was very odd. And like they had a lot of children. They had both servants. of them. I think they, yeah, they both had children. Um, no, I mean they both were like addicted to gambling. Yeah, they do I mean, it together uh, or what? Or sometimes separate, but uh, they lost a lot of money towards that, and they had whole families. And I guess they got busted one time for back up on taxes or they just weren't paying their taxes and all their like houses and you know money were seized i thought well how is that possible like and part of it is because they gambled all the time so the remaining assets that they had were seized by the federal government they were basically broke by the end of their careers damn yeah it was just it was interesting to see because i i was also surprised just how wildly successful the franchise was i wasn't aware of that i thought only uh, parents who showed their kids this when they were growing up knew about it, but maybe Abbott Costello is a lot bigger than I uh, can recall. Wait, so sure. when did when did they make the last movie then? Fifty five, probably. Fifty five. Uh, they ended oh, in the wow. mid fifties. Wow. I don't know if they were more successful than the Three Stooges though, because when I mentioned the Three Stooges, everyone just kind of knows about it. 
if I mention Abbott and Costello, it's far less. But Three Stooges also had more recent films, uh, even in the 2000s and 20-teens, even, I think. Will Sasso might have played in it. Well, I feel like it's it's kind of more of a concept that it lends itself more to, like, reboots and stuff, too, just because it's... Oh, you mean the popularity so of Stooges is because of the reboots? Yeah, the popularity. It, well, uh, well, I think it just, the whole concept just lends itself more to reboots because, like, it's such a recognizable brand and they're kind of more interchangeable where you can have a bunch of different people play the Three Stooges, but Abbott and Costello are, I feel like, more distinct, so it'd be harder to pull that off as a reboot. They were replaced with another duo. I mean, didn't you watch them a lot? Uh, Larry and something? Do you remember, like, the other kind of comedy duo that kind of existed at that time? Oh, well, there was, uh, there was Laurel and Hardy. My dad, my dad was a yeah, big Laurel and Hardy fan, so I watched those. But I think they, they're, I think they replaced Abbott and Costello. But they, those movies were pretty different from Abbott and Costello, though. They had a different feel to them. It wasn't slapsticky humor? Well, it was, but it was different. It was, it wasn't the kind of humor. It's kind of it's a very unique kind of humor. It's different from Abbott Costello humor. It's not really the same. But so it's not the same dynamic. Like here's the oaf and here's the straight man. Well, it was. They're just their style of humor was a lot more nonverbal. Whereas Abbott and Costello, a lot of it is kind of like these lines and this dialogue and stuff. Whereas theirs, they'd have like an extended sequence where Laurel's just doing some weird stuff silently. Like he's a not lot speaking. of rape jokes. <laughs> Like he, he's, he's doing not weird speaking. stuff, a lot of rape jokes back in the 50s. Well, no, no, he would just make weird faces and do weird stuff, and then, like, something would fall over or something. He would do a lot of rapey stuff. Oh, my God. No? I, wait, what's their name again? But even that, I'd, I'd have to rewatch it, because I don't even really remember it that well. I was so young when I watched those. But or do you know, like, did it come out of the I, 60s or 50s? or Earlier than that, I think. I think a lot of it was in the 40s. Oh, wow, so they were competitors as opposed to, like, replacers. I think all of these big groups were around at the same time. The Stooges, the Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello. You had, and then before that, you had, like, W.C. Fields and... Uh, yeah, my dad, tried to, and... my dad tried to introduce me to Laurel and Hardy when I was younger, and I just said, no, I've got Abbott and Costello. F*** these guys. Well, actually, W.C. Fields, I think he might have been the first, maybe, because some of those are really old. Oh, I, who oh, and is W.C. Fields? He was another comedian during like the silent age. Or you have Buster Keaton, and it goes way... You can oh, just go well, back Buster and Keaton's back obvious. and back. Or Charlie Chaplin. Like, th- they, it was all coming around at the same time, kind of. Yeah, but Buster Keaton and Chaplin weren't duos. Or they didn't do duo-type stuff. Or they didn't do group comedy. It was all just them by themselves. But if you want to go back and back and say, like, this is the new this, like, you can go on forever. <laughs> We can go all the way back to, uh, think of a funny time, uh, Jesus, maybe? One AD? Jesus was the first slapstick comedian. Yeah, you can, it's written in the New Testament, actually. Oh God. It's very slapsticky. Oh they slapped him onto a cross and everything, I don't know. All right. You gave it eight triangles, uh, it's, I'll, it I'll give it, eight. I'll give it. 13 circles 13 circles mm, 8 triangles and 13 circles which makes 21 squares got it mm, magic all right all right see ya ah